Well, this is an interesting story about an agnostic, a clergyman, and a priest. Sounds like a sounds like a joke, doesn't it? Agnostic, a clergyman, and a priest walk into the Messianic banquet. Well, that is what the story's about. But the agnostic is the interesting one. His parents have been very stern Presbyterians. He clashed with his dad at an early age. Once he got out of the house. He uh, declared that he was an atheist. It sounds like the stories that we have now with our parents and families. But this story is about Robert Louis Stevenson, the famous Scottish author of books like Kidnap, Treasure Island, starring Long John Silver, and The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Well, he was a tubercular, and he had started traveling with his wife looking for a cure. And he had come to Molokai, to Kalawau, which is the leprosarium there, this little community surrounded by cliffs to contain the lepers. And he was so moved by his visit there. And he heard stories about uh, Father Damien, who had just died, I think, the previous year. Uh, and he just felt, as an agnostic and a humanist, that something important was being said about the nature of human beings and their capacity for love. And so while he was staying in the guest house at Kalawau, he wrote this poem. To see the infinite pity of this place, the mangled limb, the devastated face, the innocent sufferer smiling at the rod, a fool is tempted to deny his God. He sees, he shrinks, but if he gazes again, Low beauty springing from the breast of pain. He marks the cisterns on the mournful shores. And even a fool is silent and adores. Well, Stevenson left, uh, moved to Samoa where he died some years later, well-loved. Um, but what this podcast is about is about the controversy that happens after he leaves uh, Kalawau and Molokai. So this is Father John Arnold, this is Oro Valley Catholic, and we're talking about Jesus' parable for the 28th Sunday of Ordinary Time. We think of Father Damien of Molokai as a saint, but what is mostly forgotten is the huge controversy that surrounded his death. You see, his death drew international comment. The controversy probably played some role in delaying his canonization until 2010 by Pope Benedict XVI. Remember Mother Teresa of Calcutta, who basically does the same thing as St. Damien does, was canonized with just a, a few, within a few years of her death, but not so with Father Damien. And there's, there's some reasons swirling around about that. And the reasons always are the best kinds of reasons. The questions which the congregation for the saints has to ask. Well, what kind of man was Damien? Was he a saint? Or was he, as other Christian pastors said, and I'll just quote it, a grubby, coarse lecher and a master of public relations, a hypocrite. You see, one Christian pastor who was very prominent, he was a Presbyterian, accused Damien soon after his death of having contracted leprosy through his illicit, intimate relations with female lepers while supposedly helping them uh, Kalawau and Molokai. Uh, 
You see, at the time, and this is the 1890s, they thought that leprosy was probably a sexually transmitted disease. Leprosy, or its modern non-judgmental name, Hansen's disease, is actually a bacterial infection that can be treated or caught early. It's not an, a sexually transmitted disease, but they didn't know that in the 19th century. The cure was discovered in the 20th century, but it was feared in the 19th century as this highly contagious, disfiguring disease, had been for millennia. One of the prevalent 19th century scientific concerns was whether or not it was an advanced case of syphilis, because syphilis has, uh, apparently the longer it goes, has devastating effects on the human body. Uh, and, and so it was treated in Hawaii, something like, if you remember, the huge AIDS crisis in our own country. Uh, they, they were quarantined in this leprosarium in Molokai. Um, you know, the irony of it all is, is that Hansen's disease, like syphilis, is just another example of Europeans bringing foreign diseases to a native population that didn't have the built-in immunity to withstand them. So when, Dr. when Father Damien arrived in Hawaii in 1864, he ministered mostly to the native populations as the Anglos were overwhelmingly Protestant and anti-Catholic. Because Hawaii was on the Pacific trade route, the local population suffered greatly from imported diseases, cholera, Hansen's disease, syphilis, smallpox, all of those kinds of things, which we're used to as these cultures from Europe and native cultures uh, interact. Well, the way that the Hawaiian government reacted under King Kamehameha V and the Hawaiian legislature, because this is just before the Americans overthrow the native hierarchy, become an American republic, and then, after Damien's death, become an American territory. This is all about manifest death, destiny. That's why these American clergymen are wrapped up in this story. But what they decided to do, which was, which was rational, was to quarantine lepers onto uh, this peninsula on the island of Molokai and uh, create this uh, leprosarium called Kalawau. Well, that's rational because they didn't have another means of pre preventing the widespread dissemination of this disease, which was poorly understood. The problem was that the Hawaiian state under the uh, island kings was really had very few resources they did what they could. A lot of Christian missionaries, Protestants especially, uh, did what they could to provide resources, but it wasn't enough to support this, uh, this colony. And as a result, the people, angry and abandoned, uh, it, it did not have a good reputation. And so when Father Damien decided to move there, he was really going into a difficult situation. That's why I do think that the best comparison that we have in modern times to Father Damien is Mother Teresa of Calcutta, who did exactly what Father Damien did. Poor resources, really couldn't heal people, but just moved in to be with them. And meanwhile, others did what they could. But Father Damien's self-sacrificial love presented a very unpleasant counterpoint to what the government and some of these Protestant missionaries did and did not do. 
The Hawaiian government and the American Protestant missionaries were involved with trying to care for the lepers, as I said, but at a very safe distance. So at the heart of the difference between Father Damien's ministry and the response of the Protestant missionaries and the Hawaiian government, what really centered around disagreements about hygiene, um, ministry, and what the Bible really required. So look at it from a uh, religion that thinks you're saved by grace alone and that their whole religious tradition is based on scripture alone. The Protestant missionaries justified the exile of the lepers, both to the Hawaiian government, to themselves and to their followers, uh, both on the grounds of containing a contagious disease, but also, interestingly, on biblical grounds. They went back to the Old Testament. In fact, they went all mosaic on Father Damien. And they referred to chapters 13 and 14 of the book of Leviticus, part of the Mosaic Law, the Torah, which is the part of the holiness code which uh, describes how you're supposed to treat skin diseases. And the way that you treat skin diseases is that, if you remember in Jesus' time, you quarantine them, you put them out into these colonies. They're supposed to cry unclean if you try to get too close to them. And so uh, Father Dominic Dom Elias Carr wrote an uh, article that got my attention called We the Lepers. And here's what he said about it all. In July 1873, the Hawaiian Evangelical Association resolved to preach vigorously for the segregation and exile of those suffering from leprosy, the thinly veiled implication of which was that those who resisted this path of action were going against God's will and were therefore sinful. The juxtaposition between their approach, based on Leviticus and Damien's, which clearly imitated Jesus' Jesus's example in the gospel, could not have been more striking. I put a link to that article in my, in my podcast notes if you're interested in reading the entire article. But the point he's making is, is Damien looks like Jesus. The Protestant missionaries are talking about this uh, mosaic code. And as all of this plays out, it's a really about the idea of saving face. So after Father Damien's death, some Protestant missionaries felt that the global acclaim he had received for his example of Christ-like charity living with the lepers reflected badly on their own efforts of charity, and they did do charitable things. One prominent Protestant clergyman, who was actually from the Northeast of the United States, was one of these religious travelers that would go around, and he was a charitable man, but he, his missionary work always took him to the most scenic spots, Hawaii, then Japan, then China, and then missionary work in Europe. And uh, he just never lit uh, very long, uh, for very one place for very long, apparently. But he, after Damien's death, and he had been part of the Protestants that had talked about Leviticus and said, this is what real Christians need to do. He wrote a letter, a private letter that he was supposed to be kept secret to a fellow Protestant clergyman who lived in California named H.B. Gage. And um, he commented not very favorably on Father Damien. And here's what he said, because he knew Father Damien. We who know the man, Father Damien, 
are surprised by the extravagant newspaper laudation as if he were a saintly philanthropist. The simple truth is he was a coarse, dirty man, headstrong and bigoted. He did not stay in Molokai, but went there without orders, did not stay at the leper settlement before he became one himself, but circulated freely over the whole island. Less than half the island is devoted to the leper. And he came often to Honolulu, and that's where Hyde lived. He had no hand in the reforms and improvements inaugurated, which were the works of the Board of Health, as occasion required and means provided. Hyde had helped with those. He was not a pure man in his relations with women, and the leprosy of which he died should be attributed to his vices and carelessness. Others have done much more for the lepers, our own ministers, the government, physicians, and so forth, but never with the Catholic idea of meriting eternal life. So he wrote that the year or so after Father Damien's death. Well, Reverend Hyde, as you know, he's a Presbyterian, believed in salvation by grace alone. Uh, scripture alone was what his religion was based on. Um, he did not like Father Damien. And his attack on Father Damien's character was that he was a hypocrite who contracted syphilis that led to leprosy because he liked to play nookie with leprous women, apparently. Uh, wow, okay, that's a different view. But unfortunately for Dr. Hyde, two things happened that brought his letter notoriety. This was the first. At the time that Father Damien lived on the island, and that uh, Dr. Hyde was over in Honolulu. Um, Hansen's disease was getting a lot of attention from European medical personnel because of its supposed connection to syphilis. So there was a German scientist, Dr. Eduard Christian Arning, a German bacteriologist, and Hansen's disease is, is caused by a bacteria. Challenged the connection between syphilis and leprosy vigorously. He conducted experiments on Molokai. This is the one that really should get you. He once sewed a leproma, which is uh, a piece of inflamed leprous skin, uh, presumably cut from the living flesh of a leper. And then he experimented on prisoners by opening up their leg and sticking the infected skin in there to see if they would get leprosy and what would happen. You know, this is what Dr. Mengele had gotten uh, trouble with under the Nazi regime. But these, this is European medicine in the 19th century. So after Damien's death, because of the interest that he had, because he was an expert on syphilis and was pursuing expertise on Hansen's disease, he'd asked to examine Dr. Da Father Damien's body after his death. And he and another doctor confirmed that he died of leprosy, but that he never had syphilis. It was one of the pieces of evidence to say, you can get Hansen's disease, but have never had a sexually transmitted disease. Dr. Arnie's work, interestingly, in the decades that followed, led to, I believe, the first effective treatment for Hansen's disease. And that's why we think of leprosy, though it still exists, as simply not the threat that once it was. But the fact that science said syphilis and Hansen's disease don't go together was one of the things that made 
Dr. Hyde's letter look really bigoted. But unfortunately, there was a second part to this. The second unfortunate event for Dr. Hyde was that his letter was made public and published in an Australian newspaper. And it caught the sight, the eye, of a Scottish agnostic author named Robert Louis Stevenson, who had visited Molokai, talked to the lepers after Father Damien's death, and though he was an agnostic humanist, could be considered a fan. You see, a humanist can see a, a saint and say, there's someone who loves another human being. They may not get the God part of it. They may not get the motivation for what this person is doing, but they can see the goodness. I mean, coincidentally, in case you were wondering, Stevenson's book, The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, was actually written about five years before these events. So Mr. Hyde is not referring to this Protestant pastor. It's just a coincidence. You know, the thing that made Stevenson so attuned what Father Damien had done was that he was a tubercular. He was dying of tuberculosis. Uh, and when he listened to how caring Father Damien was, how he prayed with them, how he buried them, uh, how he wasn't afraid to touch them, you can imagine how he would react to that kind of caring. Well, because he's really not a Christian, he's a humanist, he decides that he's going to do what all the humanists that we live with do now. He decides that he's going to launch on this Protestant clergyman. By the way, like I think I'd mentioned before, Stevenson's father was a Presbyterian. Uh, they clashed. Apparently one of the reasons Stevenson decided he was an atheist was to separate himself from his poor father. Um, and so who knows how much of uh, his feeling about his dad comes out in this letter, which Stevenson self-publishes, 6,000-word polemic entitled an open letter to Reverend Dr. Hyde of Honolulu. Now, when something has that kind of title, you know this is not going to be good. Well, this is what he does. He puts that line, coarse, dirty man, headstrong and bigoted, and he just tells Damien stories that contradict every aspect of it that he heard from the lepers on Molokai. And to really rub it in, he talks about Father Damien living with lepers, dying of leprosy. Why Dr. Hyde, at a very safe distance, throws some coins at the lepers. Okay, this is what gives all of this the emotional resonance that lights up this argument about who Father Damien really is. Don't pick a fight with a guy who makes his living uh, by buckets of ink. Um, so, here's the thing. Uh, three guys walk into a banquet. One's an agnostic, one's a minister, one's a Catholic priest. What are they wearing? And so, let's consider the gospel. So, in the gospel of Matthew this week, remember, Jesus has entered Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. He's made a whip out of cords and chased the moneylenders out of the temple. Last week, if you remember, he's confronted by the chief priest and the leadership 
of the Jerusalem temple. What's this backwoods hick preacher doing? And he tells the parable about the vineyard. Do you remember? The father owns a vineyard. Uh, he gives it to some tenants. They're supposed to produce fruit. He sends servants, but they beat them up. Some they kill. He sends his own son. They'll respect my son, but they kill the son too. What is the owner of this vineyard going to do? That's the par parable. You turn the page, and then you get the parable now about this wedding banquet given by this great king. And these people are invited, but they don't come. So the great king burns their city down. Then he goes out beyond them and he invites everybody else from all the byways, all the, all the low lowlifes, the outliers. But they come. And then at the end, you remember, it's the story about this one guy who's there, but he's not wearing wedding clothes. Let's start with how we think about liturgy. Do you remember that in baptism, we're washed in water and the word. Uh, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Direct quote from the end of the Gospel of Matthew. And clothed in a white baptismal garment, which represents the love of Christ, which covers us, the priest says to the child, and this is from the right, I'll just use my name. John, you become a new creation and have clothed yourself in Christ. See in this white garment the outward sign of your Christian dignity. And with your family and friends to help you by word and example, bring that dignity unstained into the everlasting life of heaven. See, the Catechism of the Catholic Church says in paragraph 546, to gain the kingdom, words are not enough. Deeds are required. So Dr. Hyde was right about that, the, us Catholics. We think we need to do something about eternal life. It's not really enough just to believe. You got to do something. Why? Well, Jesus is not understandable outside of the people of Israel. So the first reading, if you remember, was the same story, but in the Old Testament. And it's from Isaiah in chapter 25, describing the Messianic banquet at the end of time. On this mountain, that's Jerusalem, the Lord of hosts will provide for all peoples a feast of rich food and choice wines, juicy, rich food and pure choice wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the veil that veils all peoples, the web that is woven over all nations. He will destroy death forever. The Lord God will wipe away the tears from every face, the reproach of his people. He will remove from the whole earth, for the Lord has spoken. And so Jesus, who you can't understand outside of the Old Testament, reworked Isaiah's parable and redirected it at the chief priests, scribes, and Pharisees, that there's this big wedding banquet. You've been invited, but you refuse to come. Bad things to follow. Um, and so there's the story at the end about the king finding the man who's got his ticket in hand, but um, is not wearing the proper garment. And so let's go and see what Isaiah has to say about that, referring to chapter 61, verse 10. I will rejoice heartily in the Lord, my being exalts in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and wrapped me in a robe of justice, like a bridegroom adorned with a diadem, as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. The guest that is expelled in the gospel today lacks the garments of righteousness, justice, and salvation that are fitting for the kingdom of God. It's to live like Jesus lives. 
In last week's gospel, the wicked tenants were lacking the proper fruit, which represented righteousness. In Matthew's gospel earlier, Jesus also said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. The same warnings in Matthew chapter 25, verse 45. Amen, I say to you, what you do not do for one of these least ones, you did not do for me. So, if you could be clothed in the garments of Robert Louis Stevenson, Reverend Dr. Charles McEwen Hyde, or Father Damien, Whose clothes would you choose? Here is some useful advice, especially for people who love fashion. If you're going to wear something, wear something that makes people stare in a good way. That's really the advice of this gospel. When you arrive at the Messianic banquet, all dressed up, ticket in hand, what set of clothes are you going to wear? Well, Robert Louis Stevenson, an agnostic humanist who really tries to do good things, although I, I don't know what charitable work he did, um, but he believes life is probably meaningless, uh, but maybe not so. But he does have a strongly moral sense, and he loudly attacks the supposed hypocrisy of this Christian, the poor Dr. Hyde. I mean, it sounds like all the virtual signaling of our own time, doesn't it? the people who scream loudly about the faults of others, wouldn't you like to see them do something more than just scream? But Stevenson's widely liked, I think was thought to be a decent man. Maybe he was charitable to boot. How would we know, really? All we have is this story. Or would you like to be like the Christian pastor, Reverend Dr. Charles McEwen Hyde, who loves the Bible, widely traveled, is very rational, Probably is personally charitable. When he was defended in the press, people said he was a charitable man. But he does denigrate other Christians, whatever the motivation is. Uh, after investigation, it doesn't seem his, his, what he said about Father Damien was true at all. So perhaps it was just motivated by jealousy or ignorance. But wrongly as it turns out, but in his Presbyterian view, he's saved by grace alone, so why would it matter uh, what, what else happened? Um, do you want to be wearing his clothes? And then the third option, Father Damien, who is described by the Father, Dr. Hyde as a coarse, dirty man, headstrong and bigoted. He may have had some of those things in him. He wasn't widely traveled like Dr. Hyde, that's for sure. Instead of going from mission spot in China to Japan or China, Japan to China to Europe and Hawaii, uh, he went to one place and he stayed there and he lived and died with the people he cared for. So in the opinion of some of the learned, uh, he's not much. But you know his story well enough. I don't have to convince you of that. He did the best as he could for others, just like Mother Teresa did. Catholics say he's a saint and he had to do something to merit eternal life. We all have to want to be a saint. He needed a faith that worked. So a humanist who decries the wrongheadedness of Christianity in the world, or a Christian who sees their own goodness but denigrates the other, or Father Damien, who didn't have anything to say about either of the other two, probably didn't even care, 
but he did wander around and try to take care of these lepers. So when the king walks up to you, whose suit of clothes do you want to be wearing?